A brilliant debut mystery in a classic vein. Detective Corman Strike investigates a supermodel suicide. After losing his leg to a landmine in Afghanistan, Corman Strike is barely scraping by as a private investigator. Strike is down to one client and creditors are calling. He's also just broken up with his longtime girlfriend and is living in his office. Then John Bristol walks through his door with an amazing story. His sister, the legendary supermodel Lula Landry, known to her friends as the Cuckoo, famously fell to her death a few months earlier. The police ruled it a suicide, but John refuses to believe that. The case plunges Strike into the world of multimillionaire beauties, rockstar boyfriends, and desperate designers, and it introduces him to every variety of pleasure, enticement, seduction, and delusion known to men. You may think you know detectives, but you've never met one quite like Strike. You may think you know about the wealthy and famous, but you've never seen them under an investigation like this. Introducing Corman Strike, this is the acclaimed first crime novel by J.K. Rowling, writing under the pseudonym Robert Galbraith. Welcome to Sonoli's Book Club, a book club podcast in which I try my best to encourage you, speaker of English as a second or foreign language, to read books and stories in English. My name is Monica Sonoli, I'm an English teacher based in Brazil and a writer. If you have any suggestions of authors and or stories you think I should be discussing here, send them to bookclub at monicasanoli.com.br. If you want to receive the episodes earlier in your inbox, along with the vocabulary list and the script, go to monicasanoli.com.br forward slash podcast and subscribe to the newsletter. As many others from my generation, I was lucky enough to grow up reading Harry Potter. I picked up the first book when I was 11, the same as Harry, Hermione, Ron, and everyone else who started in Hogwarts with them. I got the Chamber of Secrets when I was 12, the Prisoner of Azkaban when I was 13. You get the picture. I had the pleasure of literally growing up with those characters, becoming an adult as J.K. Rowling's writing evolved and matured as well. And just as many others, I've started writing because I wanted to write from Draco Malfoy's perspective. Mind you, the internet wasn't what it is today, and the concept of fanfiction was alien to me at the time. It was only a few years later, as we all waited for Half-Blood Prince to come out, and I discovered thousands of forums and websites dedicated to Harry Potter that I connected the dots and realized many other people were also writing stories about the Malfoys, Sirius, Remus, the wizarding world. I felt safe. I felt like I had found a home among like-minded people. I wrote a lot. I read a lot of other people's stories. I theorized about Harry's future and hoped beyond all hope that Sirius would come back alive and well in the end. He didn't, as we all know. Harry's story was over. The authors I used to follow had stopped writing about those characters. 
I didn't have time to do so either. An era had ended, and although I'd always kept myself surrounded by great authors and their amazing, inspiring stories, I missed Rowling's voice. That's why I was so thrilled to read The Casual Vacancy when it came out in 2012. Unfortunately, that book didn't offer the solace I'd been looking for. Maybe I read it at a complicated time in my life. Or maybe it was just the impact of going from magic to something so completely different. I don't know. But it had kept me from reading The Cuckoo's Calling and the following strike novels for five years. Talk about holding a grudge. Last year, I finally decided to give Robert Galbraith a chance. And boy, oh boy, I just couldn't believe what I had been missing out. Rowling's writing is better than ever. The characters are complete, complex, imperfect individuals like you and me who make mistakes and live almost ordinary lives. The mysteries are always told in a smart and intriguing way, and the answers are never clear and simple. In the strike novels, Rowling manages to combine two passions of mine, crime investigations and strike and robbing spining for one another. It's a delight. I've read all four published books in just a few months and dived into the fandom with the pleasure of someone who thought Rowling would never write anything better than Harry Potter and is now over the moon to be proved wrong. Be warned, the following passage contains minor spoilers. If you don't want to hear them, skip ahead two minutes. In The Cuckoo's Calling, we meet Corman Strike at his lowest. He's just ended a long, toxic relationship and is contemplating bankruptcy. He is sleeping in his office, limping across London on his prosthetic leg to shower at the University of London Union. He does a lot of walking in this book, simply because it is cheaper than any other means of transportation. He smokes a lot, he likes to drink, and he thinks about his ex-fiancée an unhealthy amount. We also meet Robin, who's just moved in with and got engaged to her longtime boyfriend, Matthew. Robin ends up at Strike's office as a temp secretary, a service which he can't afford anymore and that the agency didn't cancel due to a misunderstanding of some sort. Although the job is far from what Robin and Matthew had planned for her, the thrill of working for a private investigator excites her and reminds her of a desire she has cultivated in silence since she was a little girl, becoming a detective herself. John Bristow shows up at the office with the Lula Landry case just after Robin gets there. And as the investigation moves forward, Robin does her best to make herself useful and impress her boss with her professionalism and observation skills. It doesn't take long for Strike to realize his life has in fact become easier with Robin around. And slowly, painfully so, he starts to let her in the details of the case. He doesn't give away the most important observations he's made, however, and encourages Robin to figure them out by herself. This is how her informal training begins, and it is also Rowling's way of keeping the reader in the dark. When it comes to Robin and Strike, it all happens in slow motion, but the pining is very real and the fandom is overflowing with amazing fanfiction and fan art. If you read this book and fall in love with them, I'm sure you'll be met with open arms on the internet, just as I was. 
Speaking of fandom, I'm going to finish this episode with a story by Lula is a Kitten, my favorite fic writer in the fandom. You can find her on AO3 and there is a link to this story in the episode's description. But before we move on to Lula's story, I have to say that The Cuckoo's Calling is a challenging book to read if you are in the early stages of English learning. I would recommend this book to B2 students or higher, which would correspond to high intermediate in most language schools. If you are more familiar with American English, keep in mind that we are talking about British English here, and the vocabulary and construction of some sentences might differ from what you are used to. And please don't let the challenge stop you. This book deserves a read, and I'm sure you'll be pleased with rolling and proud of yourself once you get to the end. That being said, if this reading is still too difficult for you, you can watch Strike, a BBC One TV series based on the book, starring Tom Burke as Cormon Strike and Holiday Granger as Robin Ellicott. They are both amazing in their roles, and the show adapts the story beautifully. Just make sure you watch the three episodes with both audio and subtitles in English. Now, on to the story. The Handkerchief Hesitation by Lula is a Kitten Strike and Robin strode along Tottenham Court Road, dodging the tourists and making their way steadily back from the tube station. Their pace was unhurried, the week almost at an end. Strike was feeling satisfied with a job well done. Their finance meeting in the city had gone well. In her ivory blouse and navy suit, with her hair slicked back in a ponytail, heels clicking smartly on shiny floors he had trouble with, Robin had looked every inch the image of corporate respectability, carrying off the role in a way he sometimes felt his sheer size precluded. No matter how well he dressed, his large frame and battered features retained an aura of the boxer. Robbie had looked so at home that, not for the first time, he'd thanked his lucky stars that she had chosen working with him over one of these glass and steel palaces of money. They had chatted all the way to the tube, Robbie exhilarated by how well the meeting had gone, and then discretion had forced their silence when crammed into a busy carriage. Now free once again, apart from the constant flow of tourists, they strode in companionable silence at an easy pace he knew she had slowed to save his leg. They got on so well, even when they weren't talking, he mused, and today's job was going to be a big payer. The evening sun slanted off the windows either side of them, and evening London glowed softly. A more poetic person might say, romantically. Strike was seized by a sudden, irrational urge to ask Robin out, properly, not just a glass of house white at the Tottenham, somewhere nice. They were dressed to the nines, places wouldn't be too busy on a Thursday. There was a lovely Italian not far away that did a really good wine selection and delicious regional Florentine food. He dreamed about taking Robin there imagining her in the cozy little restaurant at a table for two opposite him, her eyes on his. Why not? She was divorced. They were both single, had been for some time. They were dressed up. There was a plausible reason to celebrate, even though the job hadn't actually paid yet, but it was almost finished. 
His heart in his mouth, Strike heard himself say, Do you fancy dinner? I'm hungry. Sure, Robin replied. Tottenham? I just want to pop back to the office and change back into my trousers, get rid of the jacket. Um, Strike hesitated. Actually, there's a place round the corner. Hang on a mo, sorry. Robin darted forward suddenly. Something had fallen from the pocket of an elderly woman in front of them. She snatched it up. Excuse me. Strike paused and watched as Robin tapped the woman on the arm. You dropped this, she said, smiling, holding out the pretty handkerchief, a scrap of pink fabric with a wobbly pattern visible down one edge. The woman gasped. Oh, thank you, dear, she cried. My granddaughter made that for me at school. I'd have been so upset to lose it. I've treasured it for years. Oh, glad I could help, Robin said, her blue-gray eyes warm and friendly. Yes, ears, the woman went on. She's in her twenties now. Must be your age, dear. She went to High Hopern School. Did you know her? Sally looks a lot like you. She's a redhead, too. Robin was shaking her head, laughing. I'm from Yorkshire, she said. I only moved to London a couple of years ago. My cousin lives in Yorkshire. Strike stepped away and slightly into a side road and lit a cigarette. He smoked and regarded the scene fondly as Robin and the elderly woman chatted. Was there no one his partner couldn't charm, who didn't immediately love her? He watched as the woman drew a mobile phone from her bag and, after much fumbling, showed Robin a picture on it. Robin examined it politely. The conversation continued and, to Strike's amusement, Robin looked around for him and pointed him out to her new friend, who gave him an appraising look, nodded wisely, and said something to Robin that made her roar with laughter and nod. Intrigued, Strike carried on observing them enjoying an uninterrupted view of Robin while her attention was otherwise engaged. In a couple more minutes, Strike had finished his cigarette and could see Robin politely trying to make her escape. He stepped forward and then paused, amused again, as the elderly woman insisted on kissing Robin firmly on both cheeks before letting her go. They said their goodbyes and Robin fell into step next to Strike again. He grinned at her fondly, Made a new friend? Robin laughed. Thought I was never going to get away. What were you saying to her about me? Robin flushed. I, um, told her we were together. I hope you don't mind. Sally has a brother, apparently, and she was trying to make me take his number or give me hers so she could set us up. She laughed a little. I was with Matt so long. I've always been shooted from that kind of thing. I only ever had to say I've got a boyfriend or I'm engaged. She glanced up at him. It was the first thing that came into my head, sorry. Strike shook his head. No worries at all, he said. What did she say? Robin grinned. She looked at you very hard and told me I had my hands full. She said with a chuckle. I agreed. Strike wasn't sure what to make of that. What do you mean? He couldn't help asking, curious. Robin waved her hand vaguely. Nothing particularly, she said. You know, I was just agreeing with her. It's just fiction, right? Right. Just fiction. There was a pause as they walked. Robin sighed a little. 
London is so pretty sometimes, she said. Yeah, it is. So, Tottenham, lead the way. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you liked it, please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us grow and reach even more ESL students. If you write fanfiction in English or know someone who does, please send me an email at bookclub at monicasanoli.com.br. Your story can be featured here and heard by people who are practicing their listening skills. And see you next episode. Lots of love.